fucking popcorn from jamaica i believe he just signed the ovo but uh one of my you know one of the top dance artists i think at least currently but yeah man start to set a little vibe you know what i'm saying hope everybody had a good mother's day weekend got to spend a couple days with my mom up in saint augustine you know what i mean ate good got a little tan on you know what i'm saying but yeah, man, just setting the vibes right, you know what I mean? Shouts to all the mothers out there again. Uh, but we're back to business now, man. It's the fucking weekday, you know what I mean? What day is today? Tuesday, May 11th. We we got quite a few things here, man. I'm not going to lie. And not a lot of them are happy and positive, so I figured we'd start with that note. Because shit might take a little turn a little later, you understand? But yeah, man, business as usual. I don't even know where we're going to start. You know what I'm saying? Let's actually start. Let's stay on the positive note. 
Shout out to Russell Westbrook. I saw that he just made NBA history, I believe, last night. You all right, Real? Hacking up a hairball? Um, this thing that I saw this morning says, Russell Westbrook passes Oscar Robertson to become the all-time leader for triple doubles in NBA history. The triple-double king out here. Triple dot. <laughs> Triple double dud dada, yeah you know I mean. Try to fuck around, get triple double T do do do. Yeah, man. So shouts to Russ, Russell Westbrook, man. Still killing it over with the was it the Bullets? I believe. I don't know. I've been keeping up with sports too much, but shouts to Rusty Russ, and. <laughs> Wow, that's how you know I'm old. The Washington Wizards, not the Bullets. I guess they haven't been the Bullets. I don't know. My brain is fucking... The Wizards. Also, a big shout-out to Ali from the TDE camp, Top Dog Entertainment. You guys probably know them. They have um, their main artists are like Kendrick, J-Rock, Schoolboy, Absol, SZA. So... Their engineer, his name is Ali. I think all his like social tags are mixed by Ali. But he's essentially their, their audio engineer. And he started um, this company called Engine Ears. So engine, like a car engine, and then ears, like, you know, audio engineering, you use your ears. But they started this platform. I'm honestly not 100% sure what it is, but he did an interview with Adam22 and he was describing kind of the concept behind it and the idea. And it seems like it's more or less an online network where these audio engineers can kind of do just that, network with each other, share ideas. Uh, I'm assuming market their services as well. You know what I mean? Um, in today's day and age, the you know everyone says the producers are overlooked, which is 100% true, but even more than that, the audio engineers are completely overlooked. A lot of these motherfuckers are never named. Nobody knows who they are, but they're, I think I've mentioned it on another episode when we lost a couple legendary engineers, how monumental these guys are for the actual sound of the music. So shouts to Ali, man. I thought that was dope. Let me pull up this Instagram page. Engine Ears. Just to see if it gives like a description or anything. Engine Ears provides audio engineers with the tools to operate their business whilst democratizing access to quality engineering for artists globally. So yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? Providing a new platform. I guess it was founded by Ali and Dan Maynard. So shouts to both of them, man. A bunch of legendary, I don't know what you would call it, uh, advocates or ambassadors, I guess, you know, that are in hip the hip-hop industry. So it seems like it's a, a proactive move, you know what I mean? Shouts to engineers. Seems like big moves being made out there. Understand what I'm saying? But what else we got over here? I guess just staying on music. It's only right. You know what I'm saying? Given that this gentleman 
self-engineers, at least to my knowledge, I believe he self-produces, writes, engineers. This motherfucking cold world out here. Came a long way, man. We just came a long way. And we sitting on top of this shit. This shit can go one or two ways. This shit can go up. It can go down. Either way, nigga, I'm prepared. Feel me? Yeah. I be coming in peace, but fuck me Best beware, the others is shit deep Undercovers creep, this southern heat Make them bearable summer just last week Seen your mama weep, crying cause she don't wanna bury Your brother, the blood leaks Why the EMTs gotta carry her baby like surrogate mothers Whoa, thank God we survived around with a terrorist Hover though traumatized, wouldn't trade it for nothing Through hard times, it was there I discovered a hustle And making the best out of struggle I kept grinding to the step but level respect mine Gotta stay out of trouble cause tech nines Like the air rebuttals, cold world Niggas knowing what it is, just in case they don't, I show them what it is. Then summer, I do real numbers, couldn't dead touch it if they sold a double disc. Black cat niggas burning up the street, shots popping and we heard it up the street. It's a war, niggas running up the score. Jesus said that you should turn the other cheek. Once this niggas getting murdered every week, dead bodies smother older in the street. My homie, homie got out on parole, he's on my Coca Cola in the soda industry. Summertime, bring the coldest when it breathe. Hella blues like the rolling 60s. Christ went to heaven, age 33, and so did Pimpsey, and so did Nipsey. I told you, I told you, this shit can go up, it can go down, I don't give a fuck, nigga, I done seen the highest heights, I done seen it twice, and I seen the lowest of the lows, and still I rose, now I'm at your neck, nigga, yeah. Cold world, so yeah, if you've been living under a rock, you know what I mean? Cole is back, man. He's coming with a new album, The Off Season. I could have sworn it was called The Fall Off. He had like the warm up, a couple of these other. It was almost like a part of a series. What was it? The warm up. Uh, fuck. Let me look this shit up. J. Cole mixtapes. Yeah, the warm up, the come up. And I guess this was. I thought this was going to be The Fall Off. But I think it's the off season. But shouts to J. Cole. He also put out a little mini documentary on YouTube, kind of giving you a little bit of BTS as to what he's been going through, his life and stuff. You know, he just became a father recently. And then I also saw, uh, so the, one of the reasons I thought it was called The Fall Off was because, A, I'm pretty sure that's what he originally marketed 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 it as damn marketed it it's fucking tongue twister marketed it marketed it all right maybe not (laughs) uh i thought he marketed it (laughs) fuck i thought that he said it was gonna be the fall off but i guess he's since changed it to the off season mainly because allegedly this is his last album this is his last musical effort. 
Um, and allegedly, he's essentially retiring from hip-hop and going to play basketball in Africa in for a, a Rwandan basketball team, which I thought was... I mean, I know he came up playing ball. He played ball in college. There were rumors that he was going to try out for the NBA and stuff. I don't know if he wasn't serious about it or maybe they didn't let him or whatever the case is, but I saw, I think, just yesterday that he's now set to go play for a Rwandan basketball team out in Africa, which is kind of fire, man. So, shouts to J. Cole. You know what I'm saying? I think the album drops, I think, Friday, the 14th. Yeah, this Friday, May 14th. So, make sure you check that out. You heard Cole World. But I guess just staying on new drops and all that kind of shit. Um, A legendary... So... It's called a podcast. I don't even know if I'd... It's literally like a a production of... almost Not a feature film, but a quote-unquote podcast just came out starring Dave Chappelle, Talib Kweli, and Yasin Bey, also known as Most Deaf. So, I mean, if you know anything about Chappelle's show, he had these guys on all the time, Black Star and everything. Just because, you know, he's a huge hip-hop fan, and as he says in the show, he is just really close friends with these dudes. But so the three of them started what they're calling a podcast, and it's I listened to the first episode uh, this morning. I really like what they're doing for multiple reasons. The reason I'm joking that it's not really a podcast, it's like a full feature production. It's almost like a live theatrical, you know, a theatrical uh, performance more or less so they're all on stage talking about their life experiences reminiscing on stories you know back in the industry shows and stuff but it's not just the three of them they got like Donnell Rollins up there they got a couple other guys um, they have music playing throughout and I really like that they did at least for the first two episodes I don't know how they're going to continue it but I, I would imagine it'll be you know, probably stay in this vein. They basically are putting each episode on vinyl. So the first two episodes is side A and side B, and you can buy it as vinyl. That I thought was really fucking interesting and really innovative. All these podcasts nowadays, mine included, it's just all digital. You record the podcast, you put it up on the podcast app, and basically, you know, those apps, maybe YouTube, are the only places where you can really find it. So I, I really dig the idea that these guys are making physical memorabilia for this podcast or show that they're doing. And the so the show's called The Midnight Miracle. And I'm going to play this little kind of promo video that they put together. I believe they put this out kind of advertising the show before episode one aired last night at midnight. But this is a quick little snippet of The Midnight Miracle. Dave Chappelle, Yasin Bey, a.k.a. Mos Def, and Talib Kweli. So, okay, tonight I figured I'd start the show with a little story. About the second time I did mushrooms. Oh, Jesus. No, it's a good story because it was such a great fucking day. I went to Central Park with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. 
somebody had some mushrooms. I took the mushrooms, and man, I was fucked up. I was just in a profoundly altered state. We were in Central Park. It was a beautiful day. There was a bunch of, like, old white German people playing softball. And they took a group picture with their softball team, and I got in the picture. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. I go to Central Park South. I had a bunch of cash on me. I got in a fucking uh, horse and buggy. I gave the guy what must have been $1,500 and said, take me around until this wears off. <laughs> it was 22. I rode this fucking horse and buggy all the way from Central Park South with my girlfriend, that's now my wife, hoofs clopping. White people like niggas when we in the back of horses. Everyone was waving to me and shit like this. It was a fucking beautiful day. Like the sun starts setting and I go to my friend, Brian Settle's house. Brian Settle's a saxophonist. He lived in Greenwich Village. I had one of them early cell phones. You had one, right? But you called my landline and you were like, yo, come to the window. Look out your window. I look down, it's you, Marcus. And he looks out and he's like, yo, nigga, it's me on a horse and buggy. I'm like, yo, come with me. Is he lane, I think? Now we all in this fucking horse and buggy. And we go around the corner to the Boston Comedy Club. But I felt good. I pulled up to the comedy club on a horse and buggy. Niggas was like, what is your night about? <laughs> this is probably three hours into, so I'm still tripping, right? And I decide I'm going to go on stage. Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> right. Now, now here, here we get into the meat of it. Walk on stage. It's something that we do all the time. Every all the night. time. Well now, well, now, but now remember, Kwali, I'd never done this before. I felt this way once before, but not this intensely. And I said, well, I'm going to go on stage. It was, like, it was like a beacon, like I had to do it. I get on stage, and I look at the crowd, and I realize for the first time what it is that I actually do for a living. I was off put that everyone was just looking at me. I look like a deer in headlights. I stood there and I looked at the crowd for a long time. You know how I got out of it? I told him what I was going through. It was that simple. It felt like the end of the world. And I said, oh, I should tell you guys, I took mushrooms for only the second time today. I am fucked up. And everyone started cracking up laughing. And once they were in on the joke and I knew we were on the same page, I was a courageous comedian. And I swear to God, for the next two hours, you're not supposed to do a 20-minute spot, but, you know, I, I was on one. I was the funniest man alive, as far as I was concerned, for just two hours. Whew. Anyway, I say all that to say, the other day I get a letter in the mail. And in the letter was a Polaroid picture of me and my wife. And me and my wife are getting mad as fuck at each other. But the picture was from that day. Someone sent me a message on Instagram and he said, I found this picture in a car that my dad had gone to look at. I've had this picture for the past several years and just figuring out how to get it to you. And he found me on Instagram, he mailed it to me and it was this picture of that day and it's us in Central Park. I'm wearing sunglasses. We were young, but we looked young. It's just a sweet picture and it's sweet that it came back to us from that day from you know a great memory i'm trying to tell you anytime we get together we never know if it's gonna be the time that will make the memory that we never forget that's right welcome to the midnight miracle
So yeah, man, you know, that's the midnight miracle. But I think you could probably hear, you know, most podcasts like right now, it's just the voice and everything else is kind of empty space, but you can hear they got background music kind of setting the tone. Like it just seems like a full-fledged production. And ironically, Chappelle just went on the Joe Rogan experience at JRE, a quote-unquote traditional podcast to kind of promote this shit and just to talk shit with his buddy. But um, there's a noticeable difference, you know what I mean, between a quote-unquote traditional podcast and this one that's just more produced, more refined. It's more of a, like I said, just a well-packaged, you know, piece of art, I guess, is a way you could look at it, especially if you buy the vinyl. So, you know, shouts out to them. Shouts to Chappelle, Kwali, uh, Bay, man. You know what I mean? Midnight Miracle, I.A. But just given his story, he was talking about psychedelics and shit. And I know we talked about, you know, mushrooms being finally researched properly. I saw this interesting story the other day that I want to read real quick. It's not about mushrooms, but it is about psychedelics. And I just thought it was interesting, right? So this thing says, In 2002, Dimitri was ready to die. He'd been addicted to heroin for over 20 years, and his once promising artistic life had collapsed into a series of banal pit stops. Eventually, his longtime partner succumbed to intravenous drug use, and though they were married by common law, he was barred from attending her funeral. Dimitri was ready to finally let the drugs carry him away like an undertow. He planned to take a trip to Greece as a last goodbye from his ancestral homeland, but while researching his farewell voyage, he was reminded of a conversation with an old friend about a hallucinogenic plant with the purported power to heal opioid addiction. He embarked on this trip as planned, but scheduled a brief detour in the Netherlands to be treated with this so-called miracle drug, Ibogaine. Although the alkaloid extract of the Tabernanthi aboga plant with psychoactive effects is illegal in the U.S., Ibogaine has been used for decades by the Bwiti people of Gabon. Gabon? G-A-B-O-N, I'm sorry. As a sacrament in a coming-of-age ritual akin to a bar mitzvah. According to some estimates, the success rate for opioid users who attempt to quit using controversial methods is as low as 5 to 10%. A large part of what makes the endeavor so difficult is the intense physical withdrawals that accompany detox. Within 12 hours of an individual's last opioid use, intense nausea, vomiting, soreness, and restlessness take hold an experience often described as being excruciating. Ibogaine induces a psychedelic experience that often causes users to take a critical look at their lives. Ibogaine can also limit and even eliminate the symptoms of withdrawal for reasons that still aren't entirely understood. Dimitri found himself tossing and turning, sweating and vomiting while processing 40 years of trauma and guilt. He maintains that while the experience was tense and difficult, he never felt like he was in opiate withdrawal. But when he came out of it, he was clean. 
Dimitri says he never used heroin or cocaine ever again. I just thought that story was really interesting, man. Especially the drastic increase of opioid addiction, opioid overdose that we've seen in the past 5, 10, 15 years or whatever. But then, like we were saying last week with the mushrooms, you know, the government knows that this problem is happening and it's been fairly proven that psychedelics can help with this stuff. Ibogaine seeming to be included in that category, yet it's still illegal here. They don't want to do research on it. You know what I mean? These people in Gabon or Gabon, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, have been using this shit as a ritual for decades. You know what I mean? But I just, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting story just to, you know, expand your mind a little bit. You always hear the bad stories about about all these drugs and stuff, which a lot of them, you know, rightfully so. But every now and then you got to sprinkle in some good stories, man. Because not, you know, if it's used properly and in moderation uh, with care, you know what I mean? Then they there can be positive outcomes to to these substances, you know. So, yeah, man. But moving right along. So, call back to a couple of episodes ago. We talked about Joey Badass winning the Oscar for Two Distant Strangers, the short film on Netflix about essentially a time loop of his interaction with police. But I was sent this TikTok video from Cynthia Cow, um, where essentially it sounds like that story may or may not have been um, stolen from her. Let me. I'm gonna play her video so you guys can see what Cynthia is talking about. Four and a half years ago, in 2016, I wrote and directed a short called Groundhog Day for a Black Man, which is about a black man who relives the same day over and over and tries different methods to survive a police interaction. Then, one year ago, after the murder of George Floyd. I got an email from Now This News. They said, we've recently seen your short film Groundhog Day for a Black Man and found it very powerful. We would love to amplify it and share the message with our audience. They ended up posting it to their Facebook and their Twitter page. Then one year after Now This posts my short, Netflix puts out a short called Two Distant Strangers on April 9th, 2021. And it's about a black man who lives the same day over and over again and tries to survive a police interaction. It also got nominated for an Oscar. This hit me when I saw in the opening credits in association with Now This. This past Sunday, they just won an Oscar for that short, Two Distant Strangers. And I don't know what happened. I'm not making any assumptions. So whether or not the now this company actually stole this from Cynthia is kind of unknown. I mean, you know, they say no idea is original. It could be coincidence. I mean, it sounds fairly unlikely given what, you know, the the details that she provided. But I guess also they were saying in the comments, because this Cynthia Cow is uh, what looks like to be an Asian American woman. Um, so I guess in the comments, they were basically saying, you know, why, why is this lady benefiting and profiting off of black trauma? Uh, because Two Distant Strangers, I believe was, was produced by, um, I think Revolt. I know Diddy was involved. I don't know if it was through his Revolt company. 
um, or if you know a different a different movie production company or something that he has. I'm not sure, but I did think that was interesting. You know, you definitely got to protect your IP out here. But like I said, no idea is original. I mean, if she said she wrote this in 2016, you know, this this these kinds of incidents have been going on since well before that. So it's not like she invented this topic. Um, it does seem a little bit coincidental that the same story, essentially the same story that she had put out four years prior, that company XYZ basically asked her to kind of repost or whatever, is now being listed as quote-unquote in association on the Netflix short film. So, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Um, shouts to Cynthia Cow. Also, shouts to, you know, and everyone involved with Two Distant Strangers. Like we said, Joey Badass, Diddy, everybody. When an ask is out here. But yeah, man, you just gotta be careful, you know what I mean? Gotta be careful out here. But I think everything else we got is is pretty serious, I'm pretty sure. Also, real quick, before we get to the serious stuff, I guess... So I talked about hotboxing with Tyson with the Cheech and Chong episode. I finally actually watched it, and it turns out, I don't know if Jeremy Piven was just a special co-host for that one show, because the one with Bill Burr that I had mentioned previously, because on this episode with Cheech and Chong, the co-host was Triple C, um, the fighter. So I don't know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's changing them every episode, or if it's just since changed since I last checked in on it. Um, but yeah, man, hot boxing with Tyson, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, I think everything else is fairly serious. So yeah, man, we'll just get right into it, you know what I mean? En serio. Speaking of en serio, I don't know if you guys have heard about what's going on in Colombia. I actually just watched A Boy from Medellin, the J Balvin movie slash documentary on Amazon Prime last night that goes into detail a little bit about the issues taking place in Colombia. But I'm going to read you this quick little this little blurb that I found that kind of explains it a little bit in a condensed version. So this says, In March, President Ivan Duque proposed a tax reform claiming that the Colombian state has no money to face the economic crisis due to the pandemic. However, the shortage of money is truly caused by rampart corruption by state officials. This reform will make the working and middle class pay a 19% tax on services like water, gas, electricity, internet, and sewage. The essentials like meat, fish, milk, eggs, cheese, gasoline, medications, tampons, books, and rice. This reform will also impose new income taxes on people who earn more than $700 U.S. a month. The minimum salary in Colombia is only $260 U.S. a month. Colombia's economy was crushed from the pandemic. It has led to unemployment rates above 14%, poverty, hunger, and widespread economic devastation. The tax reform bill was yet another slap in the face by the Colombian government during a crisis. Thousands of Colombians nationwide took to the streets on April 28th 
to strike against the tax reform bill. Workers, trade unionists, activists, teachers, students, low and middle class workers, creatives, indigenous groups, and business owners united in protest. There is a humanitarian crisis of the state powers over human beings. People are being killed by police. There have been 1,089 cases of police brutality, 726 arbitrary arrests from police, 846 injured people, 27 homicides in hands of police, 12 people have lost their eyes due to police violence, and 6 victims of sexual abuse. After two days of strike, the president announced that the tax reform bill would not be rewritten. This fails to address necessary reforms across other social sectors that affect the working class, i.e. health reform, retirement reform, and labor reform. Resiste Colombia. Stay informed and support the struggle in Colombia by amplifying our voice and our message. So yeah, man. The hashtag going around is hashtag no a la reforma tributaria, which translates to no to tax reform. So hashtag no to tax reform. So much love to, to Colombia. Mucho amor y paz a Colombia. Because uh, it sounds like uh, I think we talked about Brazil previously on here, but we haven't really touched on Colombia or any too many other South American countries. So much love to Colombia, man. I also saw, but bringing it back to America, I saw this interesting ass story in where was this? I think it was Chicago. So you know everything going on the fucking pandemic. So people are, you know, scared to interact with one another and whatnot. But this gentleman up in Chicago is a fucking hero. Let me see if I can find this video. Hopefully it's not deleted. But essentially, I think he was an Uber or a Lyft driver. And he saw he was driving by. These two kids had just been shot. Or one of the kids had just been shot. And there was a bunch of other cars driving by, taking video and photos like idiots do. But this guy, I guess, dropped everything, loaded up these kids in the car, and rushed them to the hospital. In the process, you know, ruining his uh, ruining his his vehicle that he used for work, obviously, and um, all this other stuff. But you know, doing it for a good cause to save someone's life. Let me see if I can find this fucking video, man. A young man limped over, asking if he could take his brother to the hospital. He had been shot multiple times in the stomach area. Without hesitation, Bussin said, Dude, get in my car. Get your brother. Let's go. He's like, you take us out. Let me get both of you. Get in my car now. I must say it 100 miles an hour at some points. But the camera's still rolling while they were rushing to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. You can see the brother who was shot in agonizing pain. Because the kid was in the back, kept talking to his brother, saying, I love you, bro, no matter what, I love you. And the kid's just like, stay awake, stay awake. And the kid kept dozing off and falling over. He hopped over the other one. He's like, you gotta stay with me, man. And he called his mom. His mom was a nurse. And his mom's just sitting there talking to him. He's like, you gotta do something to stop that blood, baby. You gotta do something. He's like, use your shirt. He pulled off his shirt and 
pushed up against it and the kid's like, ah, he's like, you know, painful. Despite his good deed, Bussin is angry with the others who stopped to take pictures and videos of the crash, but refused to help the brothers. What's the value of a young man's life? And you know what it is? It's 50 shares, it's 100 likes, it's Instagram, it's Facebook. Those people that are there, I swear to God, I wish I could yell at all of them right now. You can still feel, hear his pain many hours after all of this took place. He has stepped in touch with the family. He tells us that the young man who was shot is 21 years old, he has two young children, and he is now on a ventilator because he lost so much blood. Chicago Uber driver who helped save a man's life was awarded today for his efforts. Michael Busson rushed two brothers to the hospital after one of them had been shot. He found them while driving near 29th and Federal after they crashed trying to get to the hospital. That man's now on a ventilator. He lost a lot of blood inside of that vehicle, so Uber deemed the vehicle a total loss and by a biohazard risk. And today, activist J. Mal Green wanted to help Busson fix the damage, but Busson declined. I want you to give it to the family. Okay, go ahead. You can give it to no, the no, family. No, I'm giving it to you to give it to the family. You want me to give it to the family? I want you to give it to okay. the family. No problem. So he wants to give it to the family. So we're going to go ahead and give it to the family. I'll figure Thank out what much. I'm going to do later. This kid needs more help than anything, and those kids need food. Okay. I'm not going to turn around and drive around in a luxury SUV with those kids not having food on the table. Boston says the only way he could fix that vehicle is if he gets the entire interior replaced. He says it could cost up to $20,000, but he doesn't want people to help. He wants people to help the man shot. Bussin plans to set up a GoFundMe for his medical bills. The Uber driver who saved the gunshot victim yesterday is now helping him pay medical bills. Michael Bussin refused a $5,000 gift earlier and instead paid a visit to the hospital. I'm going to give this to you. Thanks. I know you got kids, man. I know you got girls. If anyone's thinking about even trying to help me, I've got my friends who are trying to do a Kickstarter with my friends or something or a GoFundMe. I want everyone to focus on this kid, okay? Because even with me, it doesn't matter. This kid lost his car. He has no way of getting to work. He's got tons of medical expenses now. So, yeah, man. Shouts to Michael Bussin, man. I'm sure I don't have to say it, but... Uh, there are plenty of people who would not do what he's doing, and especially in the aftermath when everyone's offering to help him out, that he's he's conscious enough and humble enough to say, listen, like this this young gentleman who was shot, his car's destroyed, you know what I mean? He's got medical bills out the ass now. He needs this a lot more than me. It's just it's good to see. It's heartwarming to see, especially Michael Bussin, the driver, was a white man. He's a large set white man and the two young gentlemen who who needed his assistance were two young black men the two brothers from chicago so uh i say that to say you know it's especially in these times with all this what seems to be like a culture clash you know what i mean um this is just a beacon of hope i guess like we're all still people, man. Like he said, what's the value of a young man's life? He didn't see skin color in that moment. He just saw a young gentleman who needed help. He was shot. He was bleeding profusely, I'm sure. And even though Mr. Bussin used his vehicle as, that's literally the way he gets money, his his career, you know what I mean, more or less. 
he put all that aside and let these young gentlemen in so he could help out and sure enough save this dude's life so much love to michael bussin much love to these two gentlemen i hope um the brother who was shot is recovering you know what i mean doing better now but yeah man it's just uh you see stuff like that and it's you know it reminds you that humanity is still alive if you let it be you know what i mean but yeah i guess we'll just staying on all this racial shit i know we're coming off the the tail end of the chauvin trial i did see this the other day which i thought was worth mentioning so the article or this little blurb says a federal grand jury indicted the four former Minneapolis police officers involved in the death of George Floyd on three charges of U.S. civil rights violations on Friday. Derek Chauvin, who was recently found guilty for the murder of Floyd and ex-officers Thomas Lane, Jay Kung, and Tu Tao each face federal counts related to violating Floyd's right to be free from unreasonable seizure, as well as their failure to provide Floyd with medical care. Chauvin was hit with an additional charge of unreasonable force by a police officer. Lane, Tao, and Kung, who each faced trial in August for aiding and abetting second-degree murder and manslaughter, made their initial court appearances Friday via video conference. If convicted, each officer faces a prison sentence. The charges announced today are criminal. While the pattern or practice investigation that was announced last month is a civil investigation that will be conducted separately and independently from the criminal case, and will be handled by a different team of career staff from the Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Justice Department said in a statement Friday. The federal government has a responsibility to protect the civil rights of every American and to pursue justice to the fullest extent of federal law, Minneapolis Attorney General Keith Ellison said in a statement. Federal prosecution for the violation of George Floyd's civil rights is entirely appropriate. So yeah, get them all the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Obviously, we talked about Chauvin plenty. He's looks like, you know, getting his just due. And now these other three are following suit. Thank God. I'm sure they thought they, you know, got off easy. But fuck out of here, you fucking bigot fuck. Yeah, dude, these racist motherfuckers, man, just need to need to be locked up for good, man. And then what else do we got? All right, so I know we've talked about COVID plenty. It's probably been, I think it's been a little bit since we've actually talked about it. But I saw this article, which I obviously screenshotted and I'm going to read here, but it it was a little amplified to my ears, mainly because, or my eyes, because, like I said, I was just up in St. Augustine this past weekend for Mother's Day, and as you guys, I'm sure, know, Florida is kind of notorious for, you know, the whole Florida man, like, people do what they want down here, everyone, or not, definitely not everyone has been ab abiding by the COVID restrictions and everything, 
So when I was up there in St. Augustine, as goes with most parts of Florida, unfortunately, there was masks were few and far between, especially since DeSantis just, uh, I believe he just revoked the mask mandates and all the social distancing shit. Some stores still had them up, but even still, like people don't give a fuck, especially up in St. Augustine. It's a lot of older folks. It's a little more... I mean, it's a beach town, but it's kind of more more or less like a rural part of Florida-ish, at least around St. Augustine. So you can imagine the types of people who live up there, you know? And I say that to say pretty much everywhere that we went, my mom, by the way, is fully vaccinated, and she was still wearing a mask, you know, out of respect for other people, just being courteous and everything. I myself have not gotten the vaccine yet, but honestly, after this article and after what I've been seeing this weekend, I'm I'm considering it now, man, because my logic is, so we went to this, you know, we went to get food a couple times, but we also went to this food and wine festival that she wanted to check out on Saturday, and it being Mother's Day weekend, you know what I mean, I kind of just had to comply, right? So we go out there, and it ended up being a good time, I'm not going to lie. You know, spending time with my mom is always good, but food and wine festivals, not really my cup of tea. But um, we went out there, and there was hundreds and hundreds of people, probably 500-plus people. I'm not good at counting heads like that, but we get out there, and her and I have our masks on, and I want to say out of everyone else, in the whole place, except for the people serving food and beer and stuff. But even some of them weren't wearing masks. Some of them were, so that's besides the point. Out of the the patrons, the people who went to attend this event or festival, I want to say besides my mom and myself, there were maybe, maybe three other groups of people. And by groups, I mean small, you know, little families just like us maybe two or three people per group who were wearing masks and everybody else in the event was maskless. So my logic is, okay, everyone being maskless now with the vaccine being out, basically my thought was, what it, What are the chances that all of these people are vaccinated who aren't wearing masks? And my fairly logical assumption was that slim to none. You know what I mean? And... Even if a lot of them were vaccinated, just given the sheer amount of people that were there not wearing masks. And granted, this is outdoors, so like, you know, it could have been a lot worse. But I'm just saying, it just kind of made me think, living here in Florida, I mean, this isn't the first time I'm seeing this kind of scenario. You know, I live in Orlando, as I've said, and you you see it down here as well. I think the city areas people are a little more conscious of wearing their masks and social distancing and being at least i would like to think um here maybe like miami and shit but uh it's definitely not everywhere man so let me read this article and then like i said i'm kind of on the fence now i've been on the fence but now i'm leaning more towards just going to get that shit get it over with and, you know, if I get sick for a day or two because of it, so be it. But also, I've been hearing that they may start requiring the vaccine to travel uh, or in- international travel. I just, like I said, I'm going up to New York later this month. 
But, you know, before too long, I'm going to want to travel outside of the country as well, most likely. So it seems like it may be an inevitability, but we'll see about that. So this article here says, As state and local officials drop mandates on COVID-19 restrictions, the virus continues to circulate throughout Florida sending increasingly younger people to the hospital at rates that are among the highest in the country. Overall, the number of people being treated for COVID in Florida hospitals has ticked down over the last two weeks after a slight rise in the beginning of April. About 3,000 Floridians were hospitalized with COVID-19 on Thursday, down about 10% from 3,345 patients on April 23rd. But Florida ranks third in the nation for confirmed recent COVID hospital admissions for adults on a per capita basis behind only Michigan and Kentucky, according to new federal data analyzed by University of South Florida epidemiologist Jason Salimi. Salami. Salami? I'm sorry. S-A-L-E-M-I. Salami. We're going to go with Jason Salemi. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to call you a fucking lunch meat, I promise. Uh, the admissions are concentrated in patients in the working age bracket between 30 and 50 years old. That comes as the rate of hospital admissions for older age groups declines. Likely because older people are more likely to be vaccinated, Salemi and other experts agreed. The younger skew for hospitalized COVID-19 patients also follows an earlier rise in COVID cases for working-age people in late March. Public health experts tied that rise in infections to spring break tourism. When you have an increase in cases, you tend to have an increase in severe illness, Salemi said. More than a quarter of confirmed COVID hospital admissions in Florida for the week pre predating May 1st were among people between 30 and 50 years old compared to 13% in the week predating January 15th. Behind Florida are Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Georgia, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Colorado. Florida's high hospitalization rate for the younger age brackets matches what Dr. David De La Zerda has been seeing at Miami-Dade's public hospital, Jackson Health System. The intensive care unit leader and pulmonologist said COVID patients are averaging between 30 and 50 years old, many of them healthy and without conditions such as obesity or diabetes. I think it's because they're the last group to get the vaccine, De La Zerda said on Thursday. This age group feels that they don't need a vaccine because they are not going to die from COVID. About 40% of Floridians between 35 and 55 years old have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine, compared to nearly 80% of Floridians over the age of 65, according to Salemi's dashboard. But De La Zerda said even if they are less likely to die from the disease than those older than 65, the recovery can take three to four months before the younger patients even start to feel better. And then they still have lasting effects. We have a bunch of post-COVID patients and they're young, 
but their lungs look like a pulmonary fibrosis, De Lazerta said. We have to start looking at transplants. While the patients are skewing younger, older patients are still going to the hospital for COVID in Florida at a high rate, Salemi's analysis found. The University of South Florida epidemiologist stressed that nearly 1 million people in Florida 65 or older have yet to receive a dose of a COVID vaccine, despite the nearly 80% vaccine rates in this group. That's why, until recently, we haven't seen a big decrease in the rate of admissions for our older age group, he said. While people over 70 made up about half of the COVID hospital admissions in the height of the winter surge, that percentage has since dropped to 30%. That's a good sign because obviously the likelihood of death following hospitalization is highest for people age 70 or above, Salemi said. Still, that 30% represents nearly 1,000 admissions in the course of a week for that at-risk category of the people over 70. Eric Toner, a senior scholar at the John Hopkins Center for Health Security, said the age distribution for Florida's COVID admissions lines up with the timeline of when vaccines were made available in the state. We're seeing the effect of vaccination among the most highly vaccinated groups, he said. More transmissible COVID virus variants, Toner added, are likely contributing to somewhat stubborn hospitalization rates for younger age groups. Florida leads the country in confirmed variant cases, and scientists in Miami have found evasive mutations cropping up in different lineages with concerning frequency. Spurred on by these variants, the virus will continue to find people who haven't received their vaccines yet, Toner said. Despite Florida's variant cases and high hospitalization rates among younger age groups, Governor Ron DeSantis signed an emergency order Monday invalidating all remaining local emergency COVID orders. Certainly in Florida, I don't think there are any public health measures left to relax, Toner said. So probably the most likely driver of the continued cases at this time are the variants. So yeah, like I said, man, it, it's just scary. The I guess it's not scary, but I'm just realizing you can't rely on other people to do what they're supposed to do. I know I've said, like, I'm not, I was never against the vaccine. I'm just skeptical about them. I mean, I don't get the flu vaccine. I haven't had the flu since probably high school. And like the article was saying, I'm in no way, shape, or form alluding that I'm, like, invincible to COVID. You know what I mean? I just feel like I'm a young, healthy dude. I take care of myself for the most part. So even if I got it, knock on wood, I don't want it. Even if I got it, I wouldn't think that it would wipe me off the face of the earth once again knock on wood but you never know i mean anything can happen and i was talking to one of my buddies who just got his second dose you know who travels a lot actually smith uh who's been on the show and he was telling me he basically got it for travel purposes you know dude loves to travel so if you want to continue that trend um, it seems like you may have to get this vaccine, you know what I mean? And I guess I'm just not a fan of putting anything in my body that I'm not going to say isn't necessary, but isn't like a natural, 
isn't a natural thing. I was even talking to my mom about, like, I've been on the fence about going vegan, too, which, you know, I talked to you guys about, the the Seaspiracy documentary and all that shit. It's just the older I get, the more I learn and read and listen to things. You, uh, I don't know, you just, you start to kind of question what you've been doing your whole life type of shit. I don't know. But yeah, so I'm still on the fence. I'm now leaning much more towards just going to get in the vaccine. I guess it's free. Um, and once you get it, you know, hopefully you never have to even worry. I would probably still wear my mask, like I was saying with my mom, just to be courteous and respectful to other folks. But it seems like, you know, once you're vaxxed up, you can kind of more or less go back to a normal life as far as no more travel restrictions. I even just got an um, email from my work. Our CEO had sent out an email essentially kind of saying that, like, hey, just with all the COVID restrictions for the past year, we've had to kind of clear a lot of our travel through upper management, you know what I'm saying? But now they're basically saying, hey, guys, like now that this vaccine's available and a lot of you have gotten it, if you are fully vaccinated, please go ahead and just go ahead with your travel without checking. You don't need to check with us anymore, basically. So... We'll see, man. We'll see what happens with that. I'll keep you guys posted, you know what I'm saying? If I get the shot and start turning into the Green Goblin or something like that, you'll be the first to know. Trust me. Alright. But then, I think the last thing we got on here is this pipeline. I don't know if you guys have heard about this at all. There was a cyber attack on a pipeline that could impact all of us so let me let me read this article here the shutdown of one of the largest refined products pipelines in the united states following a ransomware attack has prompted speculation about what could happen to gas and diesel prices if the shutdown continues colonial pipeline said sunday afternoon that it was developing a system restart plan and that some smaller lines were operational We are in the process of restoring service to other laterals and will bring our full system back online only when we believe it is safe to do so. And in full compliance with the approval of all federal regulations. The comp... I just looked down and Rook's on her back, completely sprawled out, waiting for that belly rub. Give me one sec. Hey, Tootie. Come here. Asthma woo. Um, where were we? The impact of the Colonial Pipeline shutdown has so far not been felt at the pumps, with the national average holding steady at $2.96 a gallon on Sunday, according to American Automobile Association. But given the pipeline's size and importance for the U.S. East Coast, a prolonged disruption could change things. The company has not set a public timeline for restoring full service. The challenges brought on by the Colonial Pipeline shutdown would likely not appear for several days or longer. Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy, said on Twitter. But if it lasts more than five days, DeHaan said, it could affect some southeast states, i.e. Florida. States in the southeast would likely be among the first ones impacted should the current shutdown continue, 
and the region relies heavily on the pipeline system for its supply. Lengthy shutdowns of the Colonial Pipeline have in the past caused gas prices to surge across the southeastern U.S. In 2016, Georgia drivers saw gas prices increase by more than 30 cents per gallon after a leak forced the pipeline to shut down for over 10 days. DeHaan also urged drivers to refrain from panic buys. Reminder to motorists in Colonial's operating area, rushing out and filling your tanks will make the problem much, much more acute and likely double or triple the length of any supply event if it comes to that. Bloomberg reports that soaring gas prices may stoke even more worries about inflation. Colonial Pipeline, which carries gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel from Texas to New York and moves about 45% of all fuel consumed on the East Coast, said in a statement on Friday that it was the victim of a cybersecurity attack, which it later said involved ransomware. It's the latest high-profile ransomware incident and follows a recent attack that targeted the Washington, D.C. Police Department. The pipeline shutdown comes amid growing concerns over vulnerabilities in the country's infrastructure after several recent cyber attacks, including last year's attack on the software company SolarWinds that hit several U.S. government agencies, including the Pentagon, the Treasury Department, the State Department, and the Department of Homeland Security, as reported by NPR. So yeah, man, uh, keep an eye out for that. You know what I mean? Hopefully our gas doesn't skyrocket because of this shit. It's ironic. Literally just yesterday, I watched the movie There Will Be Blood. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is essentially installing the first gas pipeline in the u.s back in like the early 1900s um he's he's a quote-unquote oil man it's a really good fucking movie it's kind of slow a lot of dialogue but it's a really fucking good movie there will be blood on netflix but it's i just thought that was kind of funny it's literally pretty much about the same shit as this but yeah man uh these fucking hackers man these hackers and scammers are fucking us all man I don't know what's going on out here. But yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, keep an eye out for that, man. If gas gas prices go through the roof, then you know why. You know what I mean? But yeah, man, I think uh, I think this is going to wrap up episode 44, done. You know what I mean? But just because it's 44, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it's only right. Just to cap the episode off the right way, you know what I mean? Do I find it so hard? But when I know in my heart I'm letting it down every day Letting it down every day Why do I keep on running away?
I apologize. Often womanized, took for my child to be born. See through a woman's eyes, took for these natural twins to believe in miracles. Took me too long for this song. I don't deserve you. I harass you out in Paris. Please come back to Rome, you make it home. We talked for hours when you were on tour. Please pick up the phone, pick up the phone. I said don't embarrass me instead of be mine. That was my proposal for us to go steady. That was your 21st birthday. You matured faster than me. I wasn't ready. So I apologize. I seen the innocence. Leave your eyes. I still mourn this death. I apologize for all the stillborns. Cause I wasn't present. Your body wouldn't accept it. I apologize to all the women whom I toyed with your emotion. Cause I was emotionless. And I apologize. Cause at your best, you would love. And because. I fall short of what I say I'm all about Your eyes leave with the soul that your body once housed And you stare blankly in the space Thinking of all the time you wasted it on all this basic shit So, I apologize You know, literally as I'm playing this song, I see another article that just popped up just now. Uh, Biden races to get ahead of gasoline crunch. So I guess it's already starting, man. We literally just talked about it. Because the article that I was reading was from a couple of days ago whenever I saw it. So now this one kind of piggybacking off of that. Uh, the moves including waivers of some environmental and labor rules to ease gasoline shipments come as the closure of the colonial pipeline enters its fifth day further straining a fuel market approaching its busiest season of the year already industry estimates indicate that about eight percent of gas stations in virginia and north carolina are out of fuel even if supplies nationwide are ample enough to cope with demand we have gasoline energy secretary jennifer granholm told reporters on tuesday the second day in a row that the White House had used its regular daily press briefing to address fallout from the pipeline hack. We just have to get it to the right places. Pressing the point further, she said, it's not that we have a gasoline shortage. We have a supply crunch. Still, the coming days will be challenging, she said. And she asked people not to hoard gasoline amid indications that some people are doing exactly that. So, uh, yeah, man, I, it looks like it's already starting. I wanted to play, you know, that was, that was Jay-Z444 for episode 44, you know what I'm saying? Just need one more foe. <laughs> 400 more episodes and we at foe, 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 you hear me? But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, you know, keep your head on a swivel out there. Keep the fucking vibes up. Also, appreciate what you got, man. Don't take life for granted. You know what I'm saying? I was just going to walk Rook this morning, and there was a homeless lady sleeping right outside the step of the of the exit door. And, you know, me just being oblivious early in the morning, being half asleep still, I was half a second away just from walking out and not even looking and fucking smacking this lady in the face with the door thank god i saw her at the last second and went and used another door but you know it kind of just made me think it could always be worse man you know what i'm saying you wake up you have a bad day 
maybe shit's not going your way or whatever, but when you see shit like that, you know what I'm saying? She was just using our little doorstep as a fucking bed. It's hard-ass concrete. You know what I mean? Like, it could always be worse, man. Don't take life for granted. Count your blessings. You know? Tell your loved ones you love them. You know what I'm saying? All that good shit, man. But yeah, man. Episode 44. We getting the fuck out of E. K Podcast. You know the motherfucking vibes. Stay safe. Stay smart. Stay sexy. And stay motherfucking tuned. Got some guests coming up. You know what I'm saying? Don't want to ruin nothing out here. But, you know what I mean? I'm going to see you guys next time. To infinity. <laughs> nah. I think we did that already, didn't we? We did Infinity and Beyond. What's another little fucking uh, sign-off? Little Ron Burgundy. Stay classy, San Diego. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> nah, I'm playing. A little anchor man. Fuck out of here. I peace. The case Thank you.